Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to another episode of Maximize Your Influence, episode 18. I am Steve Olson. I've got Kurt Mortensen here with me. Feel free to check us out at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Email us your love letters, your hate mail, whatever else, to MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. And subscribe. I know I've been beating that drum lately, but come on, subscribe, people. If come I, on, if, throw us a bone. We're, not, we're, we're trying hard here. Can't you tell we're breaking out the most sophisticated persuasion techniques to get you to subscribe? Please, 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 please. Please. Yeah. <laughs> I was on my knees, by the way, so that, that should help a little bit. Yeah, that ought to push you over the fence. I can see him subscribing now. Go to iTunes Store, search podcast, maximize your influence. There we are. You won't have to go through the horrible tiresome, inconvenient work of going to MaximizeYourInfluence.com and clicking play. I mean, who wants to do that? Just We're looking out for you, right? We're making it as easy as possible. Yeah. What do I got to get you to do to subscribe to this podcast today? Huh? <laughs> That's right. What do I got to do? <laughs> <laughs> so you could do that, and then we're on Stitcher. We're on BlackBerry and on Windows Marketplace. Those are all great places to listen. But like I said, if you're... Old school, just go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com. And like I said, we've had some good listener mail coming in over the last couple of shows. More. Let's let's do some more. MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. So, Kurt, we have an article today that you want to talk about. And it is regarding a study at a beach in New York City, which I did not know. There were beaches in New York City. Sounds gross. Talk to me. No, it's actually Jones Beach. And in fact, I was out there with my son a few weeks ago, and we had to go to the boardwalk. Coney Island, you've heard that before? Yeah. You could take a subway from New York City to Coney Island, get one of those Nathan hot dogs. You've probably seen the hot dog eating contest. I have. That's disgusting, too. All the boardwalks right there. So this is, I think, a little north of that, Jones Beach. They also did this in a cafe in New York, and they did this at the beach. And here's the study. And it leads into really understanding human nature, getting commitments, a lot of distance that we've been talking about. So here's the scenario. They have a confederate, which is someone that's in on the study. So they would go to the beach. It was summertime. A lot of people at the beach. A lot of people hanging around. Yeah. They would find someone that was laying on a towel, and they put their towel about five feet away, not violate their space. They put down a little CD player and would lay down for a few minutes and get up and walk towards the boardwalk. And then what do you know, a couple minutes later, here comes this confederate posing as a thief, steals the CD player and walks, doesn't run, and just walks towards the boardwalk. So the question is, what percent will risk personal harm to stop the thief? Mm, 50%. A little high, it was 20%. So Horrible second time people. around. Yeah, that's what they said, all those New Yorkers. But watch what happened here. Second time around, they put down a towel, put down the CD player, laid there for a little while, got up. Before they walked away, they turned to that person who was about five feet away and said, hey, could you watch my things, please? Sure, I can do that. And they walked away. And here comes the thief a couple minutes later, takes the CD player. Now that 20% goes up to 95%. Well, look at that. 
all about getting that commitment, getting the yes, because they believe that their commitments, they said, yes, they have to do it. Now they risk personal harm to go after and do that. And they did that in a cafe in New York where there was a briefcase and someone went outside to take a smoke. Half the time she didn't say anything and the other half said, hey, could you watch my briefcase? And the results were very, very similar. Hmm. Well, that's pretty interesting. So you've got to get that commitment on the front end and it just dramatically increases the follow through. I guess the irony of this is we all know what the quote-unquote right thing to do is. You clearly saw a guy steal somebody else's radio. And we all, I think, have this sort of a commitment to do morally the right thing. When we've made it out loud to somebody else, and recently, it's just going to stick a lot more. Is that what we take from this? Yeah, when it's out loud, when it's public, even when things are written down, that's why a lot of times during negotiation, if you have no paper, even writing it on a napkin is a bigger commitment. Because think about this. You have a belief that you're a good person. You're driving. You see a car that's on the side of the road. You want to help, but you're thinking, oh, they could shoot me. Maybe it's a setup. Maybe, right? We we go through this process. This would happen to these other people. If they didn't make a commitment, well, they probably weren't stealing. It was probably their friend. Oh, they'll probably shoot me. I probably misread it. I really didn't see it. I'm not sure what's going on. And that went through their brain. But when they made that commitment, they knew they said yes. They knew that it was stolen. They knew they had to do something about it. That's why you have the 20% versus the 95%. I see. And that leads into what we wanted to talk about today, which is part three of our podcast series on the law of dissonance, right? And it's getting those commitments because we talked on the last couple of episodes about stretching out that rubber band, creating that pressure or that gap between somebody's reality and their cognitions, their beliefs and values, and having a gap between those, it creates discomfort. And you're saying that we can use these in more of kind of a short-term way to increase the likelihood that people come through on commitments by using this getting-your-foot-in-the-door technique, correct? Absolutely. Understand when someone begins with a small request and follows up with a larger request, we tend to remain consistent in our behavior. So this has been called foot the door. It's been called self-perception theory, sequential request. But bottom line, it's very helpful in the persuasion process. The more small commitments you can get, the more written commitments you can get, the more public commitments you can get makes a huge difference in the persuasion process because you're doing it a little bit of the time. You're getting the small yeses. The salesperson comes to you and says, hey, do you live here? Well, yes. Do you love your children? Yes. They, they start with the easiest yeses first, number one. And number two, they make sure they, they get your head just nodding in the yes fashion. Just giving your head to nod yes increases your ability to persuade and influence. The reason foot in the door is so powerful, and this should be an aha to our listeners, is you look at your persuasive presentation and you look at that spot where you're getting all the resistance. And the reason you're getting that resistance is because what you're asking is too big. Let me give you a study. This was done on a college campus with psychology students. So they'd go up to them and say, hey, we're doing a study on sensory perception Saturday at it was 7 a.m. Will you do it? Now, that's a lot for a college student. It's Saturday. It's early. Ugh, yeah. All right. So it was dismal 24% said yes. They applied the foot in the door, and it actually doubled. The yeses doubled the compliance. This is all they did. This is so simple. Take note, listeners. This is so simple. They said, we're doing a study on sense perception. Will you participate? Well, yeah. Saturday, are you available? Well, yeah. It's at 7 a.m. Will you be there? Yeah. Do you see that? <laughs> yeah. You're getting the yeses. You're getting the yeses. It went from 24% to 56% in 
just by getting the yeses, getting the yeses, getting the yeses. That's why it's so powerful. Can I have two hours? No. Hey, can I get five minutes of your time? Can I get the stain off your carpet? Can I do this? Even an initial small order that means nothing to you, that's not even profitable to you, is a foot in the door for future business. Even in negotiations, you do the easiest things first. Get the easiest yeses first. And so many people make this mistake to where they go, the money or the hardest thing first. No, get the yes, get the yes, get the yes, get the yes. And then if you hit a roadblock, you set that aside until there's only one thing left and you solve it. But you've got all those yeses. You got that track record. You're being persuasive. Foot in the door is very powerful. Let me repeat that. That moment where you're getting the resistance, break it down to smaller pieces and the smaller yeses, you will become more persuasive. Yeah, that's pretty good. Although be careful, everybody. When somebody calls you and says, hey, what are you doing? And you say, nothing. Here it comes, right? Careful. <laughs> that's when you're going to help somebody move or something's going to happen. That's definitely part of the persuasion process. It happened to me the other day. My dad called me up. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just kind of hanging out. Oh, I need somebody to come over and help me move a new dresser into my master bedroom. <laughs> you were hoping for, hey, I wanted to take you out to lunch, but you got the moving the dresser instead. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the, the risk that you're taking, right? <laughs> and note to anybody who needs help moving stuff. There's your route in. There's your, your key, right? Call people, and instead of saying, hey, how's it going? Can you come over and help me move on Saturday morning? Instead of, hey, what are you doing Saturday morning? <laughs> Well, they found that with a company that was actually soliciting for donations for a, I think it was like a homeless shelter or something like this. They had asked these people, how you doing? How you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling great. Things are going well. Well, you know, not everybody's doing that well. There's a homeless shelter. People are going without food. And just by adding that little piece dramatically increased their donations. I won't go into the ethics of it. I'm just letting you know some of the persuasion triggers out there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, good. So, what other advice would you have for people that are looking to use the uh, the foot-in-the-door technique? Get small commitments. Get as many yeses as possible. That is so important. Break it down to smaller pieces. And sometimes you could do this over time. One interesting study was done by the American Cancer Society. Someone would call up with doing a survey, right? People take surveys. It's not that invasive. And one of the questions within this survey was, hey, if the American Cancer Society ever called and, and asked you to go door to door in your neighborhood to solicit donations, would you do it? Now, this is a survey. People want to look good. And a lot of them said, yeah, I'd probably do that. Wasn't the commitment wasn't right there. And then a couple of weeks later, they had forgotten about this survey. They forgotten. They said yes, but their subconscious hasn't forgotten. American Cancer Society calls and it says, hey, would you be willing to canvas your neighborhood and collect donations door to door? Hope you're sitting down. This is what happened. Here's the difference. 700% increase in volunteers. Wow, that's crazy. It is just by getting little commitments, a little bit of time. Works well with teenagers, little commitments. Another interesting study. This was done a while back where they would go to people's homes and, and say, hey, we want to put this sign. It was about the size of a billboard in their front yard that said, drive carefully. It was huge. It was ugly. It said, hey, can we put this? And people were like, no, go away. And the results were dismal. But they tried the foot in the door. They went to people and said, hey, here's a little sticker. It was like two inches by two inches. Can you put this in your front window just to remind your neighbors to drive carefully? This is a residential neighborhood. Oh, I can do that. But just by doing that, what happened when they came back for the second request, which was a large billboard, 76% actually said it would be okay to have this huge billboard in their front yard just by doing that foot in the door. A little bit at a time, getting little yeses. Such a simple thing, but most people aren't doing it. 
I can't reiterate it enough to let you know that point of resistance, break it down to smaller yeses, get them to say yes. Even the movement of yes goes a long way. And the psychology is simple. One study, students put on these headsets to test the quality of the headsets, or so they thought. They were listening to the radio. They were listening to music with commercials. And a third of the students went up and down in the yes motion. A third went side to side the no motion. A third did nothing. And within the music, again, the students thought they were testing the quality of the headsets was a commercial to raise the tuition at this university. And those that went up and down in the yes motion were more persuaded than those that went side to side in the no motion. That wow. is why we see the commercials on TV. You've probably seen it with the song at the bottom and the bouncing ball. Yes. And they're seeing because your head's going up and down. It's more persuasive. I know it sounds wild. I know it sounds strange. I know you're saying, well, it doesn't work on me. Hello, it does. So if you can get them to say yes, to move their head in the up and down fashion, you become more persuasive. Get the yes. Get the physical movement. Get the verbal yes. Get the mental yes. The more yeses you could get makes you more influential. That's pretty good. It makes me feel kind of like a dog <laughs> that they think they can take this bouncy ball and, and just make me give them money. Well, it's like that dog in the back window with a head going up and yes, 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 Jeez, yes, I, yes, Those dogs yes. in every single taxi. And, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, you've kind of given three general principles about the foot in the door technique that A, small commitments lead to larger commitments and that Written commitments are usually more powerful than verbal commitments, and public commitments are stronger than private commitments. So the small ones will get to bigger ones, and then if you can also make them written and more public, then that's even better. And I've noticed that a great way to do that when I'm confirming appointments or something like that, or just trying to lock up or tie down a commitment, maybe I had a conversation with somebody on the phone, I always email them after the fact and just say, hey, just to reiterate what we talked about on the phone today, blah, 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 write out the things. And I say, do I have this right? And they come back and they have to commit to it again and they have to do it in writing. That's a powerful technique to be able to do that because, and even in a negotiation, say, let's review our commitment. Let's, let's review what we've agreed on so far, what we've committed to. And any of those three that you can add or just adds a little more value at and it increases a chance that you're going to be able to influence them. The small commitments, that, that first order, the two minutes of your time, even just small little things, and the written commitments. And that's why it's so powerful to have people fill out their own sales form. Hey, go ahead and write down your name. Go ahead and do this. Well, I'm not ready to purchase. Well, let's just, let's just go ahead and get it started, get things going a little bit at a time. And then public commitments. Done a lot with weight loss centers. And one of the first things they do is when you sign up, when you sign that bottom line, you have to call 10 people, let them know that you've joined and here's your weight loss goal. And this is what you're going to do. It's now public. It's no longer secret and you stay committed longer. Yeah. I think you've said too that the first request, if you're looking at this as kind of a timeline of commitments that somebody's going to make. So you're a persuader. You're trying to map this out of, I got to get prospect to agree to this, then I got to get them to do that on up the chain with the final commitment being, yes, I want to buy your product or service, or I want to donate to your charity, whatever it is. But that first request, it needs to be big enough for the foot in the door technique to work, but it can't be so big that you're just not going to get the, the commitment. So I take that to mean they have to sacrifice a little bit of time, a little bit of effort, or a little bit of money for that first request, correct? Yeah. 
That's exactly right. If you say, hey, can I give you $20? I don't know if that's going to count as a first yes because <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> there's no skin in the game there. But, yeah, just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Powerful in persuasion, sales, and negotiation. Okay, and so then, too, the viewpoint. If they think that you're getting this commitment just to kind of rope them in, I like to use the analogy of the, the witness on the stand in court when the attorney is asking him, isn't it true that on this night, and isn't it also true that witness is squirming because they know this is going somewhere and that they're not going to like it, right? And good attorneys always know the answer to their questions, and they know they're leading them down that path. Well, yes, I yes, I yes. And they're like, well, but then, oh, that's not the question. They keep them on path. Many attorneys are skilled in that technique. So you can't come across as really sleazy in that regard to where you keep peppering them with questions so they feel like that they're on the witness stand, that, that you're taking into account their viewpoint and mix these commitments in with more dialogue and going over the, the, the benefits of the product so that it isn't so readily apparent that this person is being asked to commit to things over and over and over. And I think that's one of the biggest complaints that people have about sleazy salespeople is that this guy is just a fast talker. He's asking me these no-brainer questions that, of course, anyone is going to say yes to, and I feel so greasy when I answer them. And again, you're not the lawyer here. You're not the salesperson here. You're the expert who's the consultant. And when they've accepted you as the expert and as a consultant and they have that trust, they'll answer all the questions you want. You don't tell your doctor, ah, it's too personal. No, I'm not going to answer that. No, why ask? You want their opinion. They're the expert. You'll answer anything they ask. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. I'm also taking from your research that I've read over the years that on that first commitment, and so much of this revolves around this first one to get them on the pattern. If you're using, and you call it an external incentive, and I was joking that that's bribery, if you're using something to get them to comply with that first commitment, a lot of the foot-in-the-door technique loses its power. Is that correct? That's correct. And the best example is the timeshare industry. They give you something, but you know they want something, and you know they want to sell you something, and so the value's not there. And whether it's reciprocity or the foot in the door. So when you have something to gain, and it's obvious you have something to gain, it doesn't have the same effect. Yeah, right. And basically to wrap it up too, you've said that, and this goes along the general principle of public commitments are more powerful than private commitments. And you're basically saying if multiple people can get these commitments and these requests along the way, then it's going to stick better because it makes it more public. And I do that all the time. I have clients who want to buy investment property or whatever. And they'll say, okay, I'm ready to go and I need to get financing. And I tell them, okay, you got to get with the lender and you've got to get all your documentation in. And they commit to, yeah, I'm going to do that. I always email them and I copy the lender and I say, so-and-so has agreed to get their information into you because I want this to be apparent that this commitment was made to multiple people. I want to enhance the publicity of the commitment. That's exactly what you need to do. Make it as public as possible. It can even be a stranger or somebody as you come out of the conference room and say, hey, we just struck a deal. We're excited. We're going to be working together in the future. Even if that person doesn't know who you're talking to or either one of you, that's still more public and it makes a big difference. Awesome. Well, that's good information, everybody. There you have it. That's how we uh, apply these commitments. That's how we get this to roll. And let's get into Homer Simpson again. Don't, don't, don't. Oh, there it is. Uh, it's going to be bad. I recently had an interaction with my insurance agent. And this is a, a lot of people are talking to insurance agents more than they thought they would ever be. There's a lot 
changing in healthcare law here in the United States right now. A lot of people moving plans around, and they have plans available to them that they previously didn't, but, but the prices are changing on existing plans. There's a lot of confusion right now. So I had a consultation with my insurance agent, and we're in a unique situation because my wife is about eight months pregnant right now. She's due at the end of December. And so we're kind of thinking that there's some benefits that kick in at the beginning of the year, and we're going, hey, we need to, uh, we need to think about doing this. So we meet with the guy, and of course, this insurance agent, what is his number one objective is to get me off of the insurance I'm on and buy a policy through him so he can get the commission. That's understandable, right? But I'm going into this with that suspicion that this is what this guy wants to do, kind of the denial of, of the dissonance like we were talking about before. Of course he wants to sell me a policy. Yes, he's an insurance salesman. Well, he used some very, very poor verbal packaging that uh, has completely turned me off to the guy. He proceeds to tell me, Steve, look, you don't have any maternity coverage as it stands right now. True, I don't. I've got to pay cash for this baby. Right? You don't have any maternity coverage as it stands right now. And the only way your insurance is going to cover anything is if your wife just dies right there on the table. Oh, that's a nice visual picture. Right? Thank you for that. Can I have another? Want to go after my children too? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everything he said is true, right? <laughs> nothing, mm-hmm. nothing he said was a lie. But I've just got the heebie-jeebies. It was such a negative a verbal packaging. I just don't really have the desire to, to do anything with this guy. And it's completely emotional reaction on my part. But I've talked to other agents since then, and I don't really have any intention of uh, working with this guy again on on any kind of coverage. I can appreciate he wants to get a sale, but man, little too aggressive on painting the picture there. Yeah, insurance, that's a very real risk, but I think there are much, much better ways to say this. And because of the poor choice of words, you are now in the Homer Simpson League of Persuasion Blunders. And joining what I call the persuasion pitfall, he has no clue why you'll never talk to him again. Yes, that's true. The persuasion pitfall. Yep almost always the case to where you have no idea that you offended somebody, you painted the wrong picture, you stepped on someone's toes, you bruised an ego. You don't know. So you have to be open to realize that, hey, maybe you blew it. Maybe you didn't adapt to the personality. Maybe you said something wrong. Maybe they didn't trust you. Get past what we call the Wobegon effect and realize, okay, you got to improve here. It's not the person. It's probably you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's more often than not what's happening. When you talk to a prospect that you thought was a perfectly good prospect they're ready to buy, and they just vanish off the, the face of the earth. I mean, you're looking for their picture next time you're in line at the post office. They vanish <laughs> so right. badly, right? And you probably committed that persuasion pitfall. Not only did they vanish, they're actively avoiding you. <laughs> That's how bad the pitfall is. They're treating you like you have the plague, and you're like, what did I do? Well, it was something. You better figure it out. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, great, Kurt. Anything else you want to talk about today before we sign off? Just big picture as we talked about the yeses. As you craft your persuasive presentation, your goal is to always get yeses. That leads you towards the sale. Whenever you get a no, it's taking you in the opposite direction. So get as many yeses as possible, and you should know the answer should be yes, and you should never get that no. So if you're talking to someone and you feel that a no is coming, and don't let them say no. Keep the door open because if you get that no, the door slams shut. And the chance of you doing business in the future is next to nothing. But it, keep the door open. You say, well, wait a minute. Let me do a little more research. I think there's a few more solutions that we can find. 
Can I give you a call in two weeks and show you exactly what I'm talking about? Oh, sure, yeah, call me in two weeks. They never said no. You kept the door open, and you're keeping the yeses alive. Because if that no ever happened, then getting an appointment in the future would be very, very difficult to do. So a reminder, if you're sensing a no, don't take it. Keep the door open, and then you'll be able to talk to them in the future. Great advice, Kurt. Great advice. Well, much appreciated, everybody. Once again, subscribe <laughs> on iTunes to the podcast, to the, the feed there. Just type in maximize your influence under podcasts and itunes or like i said blackberry windows marketplace all those places that's how you can find us that's how you can listen to the show more easily and we definitely appreciate you listening and glad to have you and we will catch you next week on another episode of maximize your influence have a great week